Hi, I'm Jayan Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is the daily COVID update show from the Hindu and this is our 12th episode we are recording on Tuesday, March 31. We have a slightly longer show today because there are many points to cover. Firstly, a story that has unfortunately generated a fair bit of controversy today. We are in day 7 of the national 21-day lockdown and going even beyond that, we have made it more than a month in my estimation by largely leaving the spectre of communal discord to one side as we battle the coronavirus threat as a country. That changed today unfortunately because there was a blame game with some communal overtones involving a religious congregation that was held in Delhi earlier this month which has unfortunately turned out to be a nodal point of sorts for infections. 24 persons from that site in Nizamuddin now have tested positive and cases can now be traced from that event that congregation to six other states we'll discuss that in some detail up front in the show and then we'll also get the latest from the health ministry the number of cases that we have now in india and also a bit of a debate about wearing masks that's broken out now over the last couple of days i'm joined once again by suhasini haider national editor and jacob koshi deputy science editor and let's get into it So so Suhasini right up top let's just start with the story that's uh, that's been the big news story of the day now the Tablighi Jamaat convention that has turned out to be a hot spot of sorts what can we uh, what can we say about this now what are the various angles to the story um well you're speaking about uh, the outbreak of coronavirus that is suspected from uh, a, a, a convention or conference of what is called the Tablighi Jamaat now the Tablighi Jamaat is a very old organization uh it's an yeah. islamic organization that essentially brings together uh preachers and uh, um followers with the idea that you know they follow certain rigid uh um uh, habits and and be, you know and 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 follow certain uh precepts of the religion um and it's essentially uh, done through a kind of uh, convention format uh which uh, takes place in this building uh who's uh, it's the headquarters of the tablighi jamaat in india uh in delhi in a, in an area called hazrat nizamuddin um so this is where the convention was held we understand it was actually held over a period of uh about a week uh, from the 10th to the 15th on different days uh they came together now what we understand is actually between those days about 8000 people had attended the convention uh and many of them were from uh, most of them were from india of course uh but a large number seems to have come from uh from abroad from different countries including indonesia including malaysia uh thailand saudi arabia and others in the uk as well uh and uh, what is understood is that uh, uh once that entire um, convention disbanded people who have left from there uh carrying the coronavirus have uh, faced all kinds of severity of symptoms has been quite high uh, we understand six cases in telangana alone where uh, each of them uh, actually passed away uh is because of uh, uh, the coronavirus being contracted during the convention there obviously a lot of questions being asked about how a religious conference could take place 
in the middle of the scare. Uh, and also the other question that when the Delhi government had put out a very clear uh, guideline that no congregation of more than 50 people should be allowed, why was it that this congregation was allowed? Obviously, officials of the Tabliki Jamaat have explained uh, what they say is their side of the story, which is that people had been coming in actually from the beginning of March. So there were no restrictions in place at the time. There were no travel restrictions in place at the time. Uh, they also say that essentially when their convention was in place, other things were being allowed in different parts of the country as well. Uh, parliament was in session, for example, and, and other religious uh, events were being celebrated with large numbers um, uh, taking part in them. Uh, and, and they also make the case that, uh, that once uh, it looked like the coronavirus was, uh, was a much more serious issue than people had thought, they had got in touch with the police. Of course, a lot of it is just too late. And it certainly seems that if you're going to have a convention of 8,000 people right in the middle of March, when it was clear, even if there were no legal guidelines, it was quite clear that the coronavirus was spreading, uh, then questions are going to be raised. I think, Jed, um, the, the, in, in terms of the numbers, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, about uh, two to 300 people who were taken away from uh, the Tabliki headquarters with COVID symptoms. Uh, and uh, they were tested. We understand about 24 tested positive. Some of the tests are still awaited. Um, but really, the police uh, and, and other officials who are investigating are, are still very unsure about just how many there were, because a lot of it is going to depend on people who have already moved to other parts of the country, including from Jammu and Kashmir, all the way down to Kerala, to Tamil Nadu, and other parts of the country. Uh, and they they really need them to come out themselves and say that they attended this convention. Um, and uh, 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 until they know exactly how many people they are, they are not really going to be able to trace all the cases. But this is definitely being seen as one of Delhi's, if not the country's biggest hotspots. Okay, and the suggestion is that the infection, well, the people who were infected, were uh, they got the infection from... Uh, clerics who had come in from outside and I think that it's Saudi Arabia is the country now but you know even before this event there were travel restrictions imposed so how is it that this has happened in, in the sense that uh, clerics from these countries were allowed to come for this event? Well uh, Jet, if you remember the travel advisories themselves did not come all together you know there were different travel advisories beginning from about February 25th or 26th right. when flights in and out of China were stopped. So that was the first. After that, what we had seen is specific countries were put on the radar uh, and people were checked, you know, for COVID symptoms, but not necessarily um, uh, stopped from coming in or even put into quarantine. Uh, and then you had countries like the US, like UK, Saudi Arabia, uh, Japan and a few others, I think the UAE as well. Um, from where um, uh, uh, people were not actually being stopped from coming in until much later, about March uh, 15th or 16th, I think. Uh, so we, we did see a kind of staggered pattern when it came to which countries were being allowed in and which countries were being stopped. I think a lot of it depended on which country was seeing the biggest outbreak at the time. But a lot of it also just depended on uh, where the government really wanted to put its focus uh, when they put Japan on the list, for example, for one day, uh, the Japan government actually served uh, the Indian government to Dimash and, and then they were taken off it. Um, so these questions are going to at some point be asked is how did the government decide on which countries 
should be put onto their list immediately. For example, they put all of Europe onto their list earlier, but not the UK. So a lot of people flew out to the UK and then came into India without going through quarantine, which has also led to a number of coronavirus cases. And I, I fear that this is also something that's going to be seen in uh, the case of the Tablighi Jamaat um, in Delhi, which is that people made it through without actually being screened, either because they came much earlier or because they were from countries that weren't on the list at the time. Okay, and just just one more thing here, as in you you mentioned that um, you know just be- before the national lockdown was announced, when you know everything kind of shut down, various um, announcements were coming from the state from the state level, including in Delhi, saying you know congregations of this many people should not be or should not be allowed, etc. Um, how much does this kind of show that there was just this confusion in terms of um, whether whether things were open or not, because that's a statement now coming from uh, the organizers saying that they assumed that um, it, it, it was not a full lockdown as yet. Well, I think the the fact is that the, the, the government itself got seriously serious about the lockdown, possibly a few hours before the lockdown was actually yeah. announced. Um, and in terms of, uh, you know, the week before this lockdown, if you remember, um, from the 15th to the 22nd, it was still not a situation in which uh, events were being cancelled. Uh, certainly, the Prime Minister had said that he would not uh, celebrate Holi uh, on March the 10th, but uh, very little else was being um, cancelled simply because people were focusing on the idea that the, the coronavirus was coming from abroad. So it didn't really hit anyone's radar when uh, 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 until about March uh, the 22nd, the government was also perhaps preoccupied with what was happening politically in Madhya Pradesh. But certainly parliament had not been, uh, 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 parliament was still in session, it hadn't been prorogued. Um, uh, we also had that case, if you remember, of a, uh, of a small hotspot or a scare in Lucknow when a famous singer came down from the UK and um, within uh, and, and contracted yeah. uh, COVID. And um, and actually had been to several big functions, uh, several parties in Lucknow, which were carrying on, which included members of parliament, included ministers, included senior officials and all the rest of it. Uh, so we, this was the, the scenario at the time. And uh, while you can say it was confusion, the fact is, if you were just looking at the global picture, perhaps the organizers should have realized that having people who had come from outside, uh, was a, a bigger risk than uh, than perhaps some of the the other events inside India. Okay, and let's just quickly uh, to end this segment, just briefly look ahead to uh, what's going to happen now. The latest news coming in is, I think that um, some legal action is now being taken against the organizers. Well, I mean, there is a there is a police case uh, that uh, the I think the Delhi Chief Minister has asked to be filed. Uh, it remains to be seen what exactly they are going to be able to prove because not, none of it was really in place, as I said, um, when uh, the, the events happened, except the Delhi government's own guidelines on congregations of 50 people or more. Uh, the larger cases we're looking at is where the Ministry of Home Affairs is uh, looking at the visas of the uh, religious preachers who had come in from outside uh, and finding that most of them had actually applied for tourist visas, in which case they were not eligible to uh, to take part in any conference at all. Uh, in fact, we were told by the Home Ministry that 800 uh, Indonesian Islamic preachers could actually be blacklisted as a result of this. Right. Okay. 
Uh, Swasni, thank you. Jacob, we'll bring you in now. Um, uh, where do we stand now in terms of updates from the uh, health ministry? And uh, sorry, so just just to clarify, Swasni, I think you said uh, it, it, the, the 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 people who had come in were from uh, who had given the infection to people were from Indonesia. I think I might have said Saudi Arabia earlier. My mistake. Um, no, but it's both. It's oh, both. It's both. All right. Okay. I mean, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, UK, Malaysia, um, oh, as well as other countries, Thailand. Um, right. So, Jacob, sorry, uh, just before yeah. I uh, be interrupted, um, what, what's the update from the health ministry and where do we stand now in terms of uh, the rising number of cases? So, there are uh, 1,251 confirmed cases as of uh, 6pm today. There have been uh, 45 deaths so far and... Uh, 1,275 people are undergoing treatment and nearly 38,400 uh, tests have been done so far. So every day, this today was also, I mean, the last 24 hours was also the time when we've, when we've added nearly 200 cases, over 200 cases in the, the last 24 hours. Now, this is the first because in general, we've, for the past three or four days, we've been adding 75 to you know, 100, the odd 120 cases every day, but 200 is quite a big jump. And most of these increases have come from Maharashtra and Kerala. So uh, it is quite a significant addition to the burden uh, of COVID infections that we have now. Right. Um, and uh, so, so one other thing that I wanted to ask you about is, um, uh, can you just give us a brief explanation now of this uh, this testing strategy? Because no, so not the testing strategy. This uh, this classification now of hotspots, which seems to be the new um, yes, kind that of was uh, so there yeah. have been reports in other newspapers that uh, you know there are there are ten hotspots, and uh, it was it has never been confirmed by the health ministry which are these hotspots, but. There were some locations in Delhi, in uh, in Noida, in Uttar Pradesh, in Rajasthan, Bilwara, uh, some places in Hyderabad. So uh, these were all, uh, you know, indicatory lists. Now the thing is, the health ministry doesn't really define what a hotspot is. When the spokesperson of the health ministry was asked today to to clarify on what hotspots are, he said for us a hotspot is every place where an in, where even one case shows up, which is a very vague generalization. Their argument is that uh, every case is as serious to the health ministry as uh, every spot is as serious to the health ministry as any other and their effort is to try to break the chain of transmission in every place. But that said, there are some places uh, they have been taking specific action. For instance, if there has been a report of a cluster of cases in let's say Jaipur, uh, then they perform a kind of extra quarantining over there. There is a seven kilometer radius around, let's say, a location which is kind of cordoned off, cordoned off, cordoned off. Sometimes this can extend to a 10 kilometer radius where, you know, all where special teams of, uh, uh, you know, of officials go and ascertain uh, the extent of uh, infection. And this involves like, for instance, questioning the travel history of of people in the neighborhood etc but again no real details about how these are conducted are actually shared so we really do not know uh, to what extent these measures are working all we know is that we are adding 100 or more cases a day and that is also a function of more testing because 
every day that we note is the, num the amount of testing also increases. There are also more tests being conducted by the private labs, for instance. So uh, nearly 3,000 odd tests are being added per day. And, uh, and as you see, if you observe over the last few days, the more the tests increase, the more infections, positive infections too are coming in. So and also in closing, it's, it's, it's also important to note that what we are seeing today, the cases that we're registering today are probably infections that were that began uh, 14 days ago at tops or to be on, on average 10 days ago. Uh, so we still haven't, it's, it's still too early to ask, for instance, what is the effect of the lockdown? Because the lockdown kind of was imposed only on the 25th. So it's only 10 days odd after the after 25th that we're going to see the maximum uh, number of, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, of cases who've been infected on that day or uh, before that at, at tops. So it's still, uh, we're still... We are still in an evolving stage of this uh, outbreak and a lot remains to be seen or, or, or about whether the measures that have been put in are actually having their desired effect or not. Right. So um, so just to quickly jump in there, um, as, you, as you mentioned, every day there is a new announcement about testing being expanded and yet there is a recurring debate, I think, in most people's heads about whether we are testing broadly enough. So when, when we say that uh, testing is being expanded, um, we we have to clarify and say that we're still not doing the kind of broad based te uh, testing that some experts say that we should be doing. Yes, we're still. I mean, the criteria for testing has really not been expanded from, uh, let's say, before the lockdown or just near it. I mean, the criteria still includes uh, people only only those people need to be tested who have uh, you know who have developed who have developed symptoms or. And are actually caring for positive co uh, pos confirmed positive cases, or you know, uh, uh, people who are healthcare workers in you know in hospital testing, or people who have been hospitalized with severe acute respir respiratory illnesses. So just and of course people who've had some kind of travel history and in con been in contact with them. That's still the criteria. It is still not possible for you to just say that you know okay I, I'm, I feel sick I have been having a cough for the last four or five days and I need to be tested no you can't just get a test like that you still need a doctor to uh, to recommend that you be tested for COVID and then only then will you be uh, allowed will you be given a test right okay uh, and just to this is round off the uh, program today by talking about uh, masks so there's been there's been a bit of an evolving debate on this. I've seen it in other places too over the past couple of days. Uh, you have a story today that one of our nodal agencies has put out an advisory saying that uh, people should you start should wearing homemade masks. masks. Yeah, homemade so masks. So this is a bit yeah. of a yeah. Go yeah. ahead. So it's a bit of a there's a bit of a tizzy going on in different arms of government over this. For instance, the health ministry's guidelines still say that not everybody needs to wear masks, and again. People who have got a cough or people who feel sick should be, while they're going to the hospitals, should be wearing one. Or people who are taking care of sick people, uh, especially those who have tested positive, should be wearing masks. They don't recommend masks in general. However, there was a advisory from the Office of the Principal Scientific Advisor. It's the top science advisory uh, body in the country. Uh, Professor K. Vijayaraghavan, he is the principal scientific advisor and he advises the PM. And he's also 
uh, a co-chair of a empowered scientific committee that is coordinating uh, between industry, between government, and between research institutions on finding quick solutions to uh, you know to deal with uh, COVID-19. Now, from his office via the uh, the, the science ministry uh, communication channels, there was this manual that came out that that said uh, basically recommended more widespread use of masks. However, they've specified that you know this this should ideally be homemade masks, and they've given out an entire set of uh, uh, guidelines on how do you go about making this homemade mask. They're mostly made out of they're based, they're cotton based masks. And uh, it comes with a caveat that these masks are reusable, provided that you know you actually uh, wash them. You can you actually disinfect infect them at regular intervals. So it's actually a very practical solution. It is not rocket science. It is something that can be done. However, it is this recommendation of you know everybody should be wearing masks that is uh, at conflict with what the health ministry still advises. Because over the last few days, there has been evolving uh, consensus, uh, especially because uh, the Chinese uh, head of the head of China's uh, CDC, uh, George Gao, in an inter in interview, interview to the magazine Science, he said that one of the biggest mistakes the U.S. and Europe made was in not uh, using masks. Now, masks. Yeah. Uh, the argument again for masks is that you know why it's recommended for healthcare workers is that. Healthcare workers are in extremely close proximity to people who may be sick, and you know droplets from your mouth and nose could actually make contact with, you know, somebody's faces, and it was that therefore it was recommended for them. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, masks was, uh, were recommended to not be used very widely, simply because uh, it was believed that. People who are not in, in in extreme contact with uh, or in, in too close to people who are sick need not uh, wear them. And too many use, and uh, the usage of I mean recommending masks widely would lead to some kind of a panic situation whereby masks wouldn't be available for healthcare workers. So uh, this was the standing guidelines, and we still see there is actually a shortage of masks uh, everywhere. And doctors and nurses and healthcare workers are continue to. Uh, complain that not enough of, of such equipment is available. So in this, in it is in this context that you know this there seems to be kind of some dissonance between uh, both recommendations of you know both these arms and maybe some clarity should involve. The health ministry says they are aware of what the scientific advisor has said, but they are still looking at his guideline. They are still studying the guidelines and will probably update their guidelines in the next few days. Okay. Jacob, we'll continue to keep a track on this. Uh, we'll talk about this again at sure. some point in the future, I'm sure. Uh, thanks yeah. you, thank you for joining me today on the update show. Thanks. Bye.